Fado, Fado, a long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods, there was a tale. They told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. While Cuhullin, the Hound of Ulster, stood in the ford and crushed the lives out of the bodies of Maeve's champions day by day, the rumours and stories of his great deeds and feats were spread around Maeve's camp and men who heard shivered in fear. All but one. There was one who, when he heard the tales of the great champion of Ulster, shook his head and laughed. That's a good one, but have you heard this one? The first time he went into his battle frenzy. Oh, it was a fearsome sight, knees turned backwards, veins bulging, eyes seven colours, hair standing on the spikes. Well, he went raging around the countryside, and no one could stop him. But then we had this idea. We got all the women of Ulster and they came out and they all lifted their skirts. And of course, he's only about 12 at this stage. So he is so embarrassed at the sight of all of these naked women that he turns tail and jumps into the nearest lake. And he's blushing so hard. He is so embarrassed. His face is so red that all the water steams up out of the lake. He couldn't look any of the women in the eye for weeks afterwards. The one who told this tale, who shook his golden head and laughed, was Ferdia. Ferdia's father was of Connacht, but his mother was of Ulster. She had been a great friend of Dectra, the mother of Cúhallan, and the two boys had been raised together, fostered by Fergus MacRoish. And when Cúhallan set out to find Scohog upon the Isle of Skye, to be trained by that great and mysterious woman, Ferdia went with him. The two had trained and fought together upon the Isle of Skye, and it was between Scohog's friendly thighs that both had learnt to please a woman. Ferdia had seen Cúhallan complete great feats of heroism, but he had also seen him be a bit of a feckin' Egypt on more than one occasion. Ferdia was a warrior of great skill, and added to the skill he had learnt, trained and honed, there was also his skin. Ferdia possessed a skin of horn, of hair, that no blade could pierce. Of all the warriors in Maeve's camp, Ferdia alone would have been able to stand against the mighty Cúhallan and have a chance of winning. But every day when the call came for the new champion, Ferdia would be conspicuously absent. And this absence did not go unnoted by Queen Maeve. Nor did the secret glances Ferdia and Finnevar of the Fair Eyebrows would share at each other over the fire. A love had grown between the two as they had travelled from Connacht to Ulster whispers and glances, the touching of hands as provisions were passed out around the fireside. And this gave Maeve an idea. She called to her daughter, told her to put on her finest gown, to brush and braid her hair so it shone like precious metal, and then bedeck it with jewels. She called for the finest wine, rich, spiced wine, and it was brought to her tent. And that night, with Finnevar decked out in her radiance, Maeve called for the young warrior Ferdia to come and spend some time with her. Ferdia went with some slight trepidation, but when he saw Finnevar sitting there, smiling at him, his worries were soothed, and as he drank more of the wine and more sweet words were whispered in his ears, they were soon completely forgotten. Maeve watched as she poured the wine, careful only to take a few sips herself. And when she judged the young warrior was suitably intoxicated, she began to speak. I see that there is a fondness between you and my daughter. 
I am surprised, though, that you have not sought her hand. Perhaps you, Ferdi of the Fear Donan, feel that a mere daughter of a queen is unworthy to be your wife. Ferdia, who had been leaning upon Finnevar's fair shoulder, sat up at this. No, no, I, I would of course marry her. That, that, that is, if, if Finnevar would, would, would consent and if you and Alil would give your... Ah, so then it must be true what they're saying, said Maeve, smiling into her cup. What who are saying? Well, everyone knows that Finnevar's hand is promised to whoever can defeat Cúhollin at the ford. And yet each day when I call for champions, you are nowhere to be found. People are starting to say that it's because you're afraid. That you laugh so hard when tales are told of his great deeds. Because you, at heart, are a coward. These words began to set Ferdia's blood boiling, but he controlled his anger. Men may say what they wish and think what they like when rumour flies free. He spoke through gritted teeth. Oh, but it's not just rumour. I've heard it from the horse's mouth, or the hound's mouth. Cuhullin says that compared to him, you are but a little mewling kitten. That if he were to come upon you armed, you would wet yourself and run for the hills. He says that you sided with the army of Connacht, not because your father is of my land, but because you knew that if you were to be seen standing next to him in defence of Ulster, why all the armies of the world would laugh at how puny you were. A mewling kitten standing by the side of the great hound. And at this Ferdia could no longer contain himself. The wine which he had been filled with served as fuels for the flame of anger. Mewling kitten, am I? Well, let him see that this cat has claws. I could match him blow for blow when we trained on Scotch Islands, and I can still match him blow for blow now. Maeve just smiled as Ferdia ranted and raved. The trap had been set and sprung. When morning light came, it brought clarity and a sore head to Ferdia. He remembered the words that had been spoken last night. Spoken in anger and drink, yes, but a promise had been made. He was to face Cúhallan at the ford that day. And so Ferdia washed his face and donned his armour and went down to the ford. Cúhallan stood there upon the opposing banks, waiting to meet whatever champion Maeve might send for the day. He had not expected to see one he recognised. Ferdia! He smiled and opened his arms wide to embrace his foster brother. But Ferdia stood upon his bank of the river and did not smile in return. I mean, Cúhallan. And the smile fell from Cúhallan's face as he realised what Ferdia's appearance meant. No. No. They cannot do this again. They have sent my foster father and now they send my foster brother. Ferdia, please. Turn back. If you hold any love in your heart for me, please turn back from this fight. But Ferdia stood his ground. I cannot. Words have been spoken and a promise made. And Cúhallin nodded. Though his heart swelled and begged him not to, he knew that they would fight. And so they did. And that day they decided to fight with the short spears. Throwing spears each mounted up into his chariot on his side of the riverbank, and all day long they rode up and down, flinging their spears at each other with such great aim and accuracy 
but each was so nimble and agile that he dodged and ducked and dived and leapt, the spears passing by with nothing more than the faintest scratch upon the bodies. They laughed and called to each other as they threw their spears, because it was like they were boys again. It was like a game they had played many times. When the light was dying and the day was ending, they went to the point where the stream was at its narrowest, and there they built two fires, one on either side. Guhullin passed over meat he had caught, passed it over the stream to his friend, and Ferdia passed over healing potions and balms and herbs. They shared the night together, happy. But when the sun rose, again they stood upon either sides of the banks, upon either sides of a war. And this time they took out the long spears, the heavy spears. And this day there was no laughing between the two. Nimble and light, they still managed to dodge the death blows, but many bruises were left upon each other's bodies. But deeper still was the bruise left upon each heart as he struck the man he loved. It was no longer a game, and when the sun went down, they made two separate camps, far from each other. Cuchulain did not send meat to Ferdia, and Ferdia did not send healing balms to Cuchulain. And when the sun rose on the third day, Ferdia knew what was coming. When the two young men had trained under Skohog, they had been equally matched in almost every regard. But there was one thing that Cuchulain possessed which Ferdia did not. The Gay Bulga. The Gay Bulga was a great spear, and a magical one too. It was formed from the bones of a sea monster. This spear needed to be thrown with a special technique, a technique known only to Skohog who had forged and wielded it. But when thrown with this technique, it would strike the softest, most vulnerable part of its target. Once inside, it would explode into a million barbs, meaning you could not pull the spear out. The only way to remove it would be to push it deeper, all the way through the body. Skohag had passed this fearsome spear on to one of her students, not to Ferdia, but to Cuchulain. She had taught him the secret technique, and many nights Ferdia had woken up from a nightmare, a dream about the gay Bulga and its terrible barbs, for he had seen it firsthand. He had seen how it entered the flesh at the softest point, how the barbs exploded outwards, gripping the body from the inside, finding the organs, the arteries, tearing into them, biting into them, he had seen what happened if someone tried to pull it out while those barbs still had their teeth in. He had seen the entrails and the blood and the shit. He had seen the dying men screaming in agony. And some part of him had known, long ago, all those years ago, that that would be how he would meet his end. That he would die, impaled upon the gay bulga, wielded by his best friend by the man he loved more than a brother. That day Ferdia rose early. He washed his face, his hair, his body, preparing himself for the grave. He took his finest tunic, made of linen grown in his mother's home. Over that he placed his armour of leather and bronze. He placed rings upon his fingers, a torque about his neck, and upon his head a cap of leather and bronze that shone in the sun. He took his spear, his shield and sword, and he went down to the banks of the ford, and there he began to perform his hero's feats. 
The cat step, the salmon leap, the way of the shield. Ferdia moved through all these like a dancer. Many heroes performed these feats before battle, but none had performed with the grace of Ferdia. And he performed ones that have no name, that have never been repeated since. The people who had gathered to see the great fight were awed by his movement, by his grace, by his strength. And on the opposite side of the bank, Cuchulain watched his friend, the man he loved more than a brother, and knew he would never see him perform such feats again. And tears came to his eyes that he must fight him that day. Not tears of fear, but tears of grief, because he knew that he would end that life that was so beautiful and so dear to him. But still he took his place at the fort. That day they fought not with spears, but with swords. The two men stood facing each other, the water running about their legs, and they began to fight. And indeed they were well matched. Each knew the other so well he could predict his movements. Blow upon blow rained down, skin splitting, muscle tearing, bone breaking. The water of the river turned red. Ferdia's magic skin of horn and hair. Yes, it could not be pierced by a blade, but it could be split by the force of the blow. And as the scent of the blood rose to meet Cuchulain's nostrils, he was fighting not just his friend, not just Ferdia, but he was fighting the battle rage in him, the hound that was howling to be let loose. He fought it, holding it down. He would not tear his friend apart with his own teeth and nails, and he knew that is what would happen if he let the hound loose. And perhaps it was this internal battle that gave Ferdia the opening. He struck with his sword and Cuchulain did not manage to dodge, did not manage to deflect. And the sword entered into him, entered into his chest, missing his heart by fractions, piercing his lungs, filling them with blood as he cried out, his mouth filling with his own blood as he fell back upon the banks. And he reached out and he grabbed blindly for it. It was more instinct than thought. He grabbed the gay bulga, the gay bulga, the spear made from the bones of a sea serpent, the spear that could not miss, that would find its target, that would pierce, impale, shred. The spear that needed to be thrown from within water. Well, he was in water. He was drowning in the water of the ford and in the blood of his lungs. He thrust the spear as he had been taught to so long ago, as he had been taught to when he and Ferdia were but boys. Ferdia stood over him as Cuchulain thrust the spear upwards with his foot and it entered him. It entered him at the softest, most vulnerable point. It entered him from below, from behind. His skin could not protect him from this. The spear of bone pierced through him. Pierced skin, muscle, intestine. Tore arteries open. The barbs burst out from the head of the spear. Seeking soft flesh to cling to, biting down on his innards. He felt the pull, he felt the tear, he felt, he felt it finally reach his heart and burst. Ferdia fell forward, fell into the arms of Cuchulain, and Cuchulain wrapped his arms around his friend. Bleeding from his own chest, Cuchulain rose Carrying the body of Ferdia in his arms, he took him to the side of the bank, to the Ulster side, so that he would spread his last drops of blood, his last breath, on the Ulster side, on the side of his mother's lands. Cuchulain held him as tenderly as a child, gazing down into the blue eyes that he were already turning grey with death. He pressed a kiss to the blood-stained lips, 
his blood and Ferdia's mingling together, and when he saw that life was gone, that Ferdia was no more, he threw back his head and cried out his lament that Ferdia should die and Cuchulain remain. At that point, Cuchulain wished to die too. To be with his friend, he prayed that the wound in his chest, the wound that had just missed his heart, might bleed out and give him sweet rest, sweet relief, and that he might be with his friend, with the one he loved. His howl split the sky, and a man was walking towards him. A man with a glow about him, like the sun shining through mist. He picked up Cuchulain as if he weighed nothing more than a child. He placed his fingers upon his lids to close them. No, cried out Cuchulain. I can't. I can give you rest, son, whispered the man. His father, Luil Donag. I can take you away from all this. I can't. I have to stay. There's no one else. There's no one left. It's just me. Then let me give you rest, at least. Let me heal your wounds. I can't. Ferdia. His body will be tended to. I promise you. And with that, Lou took him away. Took his son away for three days to rest to heal his body, though even Lou, the many-talented one, the many-skilled one, the ill Donog, even he knew he could not heal Cuchulain's heart from the death of Ferdia. And Merry Christmas to you all. I have not been looking forward to getting to this section of the tone, which might be why I've been more procrastinating than usual. I apologise for the long delay between this episode and the last. There's been, well, there's been a lot of things going on. There's always a lot of things going on in December and I've still got this bloody chest infection that I just can't seem to shake. I thank you for your patience and I thank you for listening to this episode. As I've said before, this is my version of the tone, so I'm including bits, I'm leaving out bits, I'm being a magpie picking and choosing. Please feel free to get in contact, um, Twitter, Instagram... I'm not very fast at replying, but they're all linked in the episode description. Tell me what details you do like, what details you would have liked to have been included. For instance, in a lot of the versions, you'll have Ferdia tying a stone um, over his belly to try to protect himself from the gay bulga. I left that bit out. Is that a bit you would have liked to have had included? Are there other details you would have liked included or things I included that you think could have been left out? Please let me know. And as ever, I hope you are safe. I hope you are well. We've made it past the solstice the days are getting longer things are getting brighter hopefully this is a good omen i hope you're safe i hope you're well i hope you're washing your hands and thank you Mm -hmm.